Welcome to Webcology. Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome to Webcology. It's the uh, 25th of November, 2021. This is Jim Hedger of Digital Always Media. Dave Davies from BSEC Internet Marketing. And we have the uh, we have a couple of folks from SEO Clarity in the host today. The uh, fairly massive click-through study that was released a few weeks ago. Um, uh, Mattel Gandhi and Mark Traphagen, welcome to Webcology. Thank you. Thank you very okay. much. Okay, so a couple of weeks ago, SEO Clarity released a study um, on click-through rates. And listeners might be thinking to themselves, okay, and another click-through study. It's like, it's like a, uh, another PPC firm is um, looking at user behaviors. This is a little bit different than that. SEO Clarity looked at a mind-boggling 750 billion plus uh, incidents of, of user behavior, click through, um, and boiled it down to sector, country, device, and a number of other metrics that, that um, SEOs and uh, PPC professionals will find interesting. Uh, Matul and Mark, tell me about the study. Like, um, why another click through study to begin with? I'm going to defer to Middle a lot here because Middle is the author. He's the, the creator of this whole thing. I'm here for color commentary. So, <laughs> <laughs> Middle, why, why do another uh, click-through rate study? There's, there's been dozens Great question. Of you know, when, when this uh, idea originally came up to leverage all of this incredible data we collect through the click-stream sources that we aggregate, uh, that was a question that, that our team asked too, which is why, do we, why does the world need another CTR study, right? And the simple answer is that as we look at all of the previous CTR studies, including our own, we've done these studies um, at least a couple of times before, we noticed that every one of those studies was based on a very limited set of data. And that data suffered from a number of different biases. The most common source of these studies, data sources, have been Google Search Console data that uh, enterprise platforms like ours, rank tracking tools, others collect from their clients. Uh, and that clients give them permission to use for studies like this. But those study, those um, are inherently biased because they come from companies that are transactional in nature that have a focus on uh, attracting customers. And they don't actually reflect the vast majority of searches that actually happen on the web, which happen to be informational in intent. Our objective with this study was to look at a much, much broader data set than anybody has ever looked at before to represent truly what the click-through rates are out there on the web for a wide variety of searches. What is reflective of the web searches, not just a segment of the web. Okay, 750 billion or, or more impressions, uh, 30 billion or more clicks. Um, where were you? weren't just drawing the data from... Uh... Google Search Console. Where else were you, were, were, were you drawing data from? We spent the last couple of years trying to find better sources of uh, data for uh, essentially search volume. And uh, what this, uh, this hunt of ours led us to aggregate information 
from a variety of sources for actual searches that people are doing uh, on their computers, on their phones. Uh, so it's not it's not any one data source. It's not uh, the Search Console, but it's actual user behavior on Google worldwide in all 180 uh, countries where Google exists. And uh, this allows us to see true behavior, not just what Google reports as behavior, but true behavior. What do people do after they do a search? Where do they click? What do they search? What are all the, you know, uh, what are the actual search queries? Not what you see in Keyword Planner, which, you know, Keyword Planner obfuscates a lot of the actual searches that combine and groups words together. This is raw data that we are aggregating from a variety of sources. Okay, well, that, 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 that begs the question, how noticeable is the differences in the um, aggregated data that you're seeing and the data that Google would, would normally serve up just any, any um, SEO, SEO or SEO firm? You know, the biggest difference that we see is there's both Google Keyword Planner and Search Console have a habit of hiding or obfuscating or removing a lot of the data that they report on. So if there is any personally identifiable information in search queries, you know, search console, like names of people, the search console would, you know, uh, hide that. If there's uh, any other searches that it deems as not safe search, um, it will not report on it uh, within the search query, search console. Uh, what we are able to do is through the clickstream be able to see the raw data. That gives us a much better sense of the actual queries and reveals that hidden web that Google doesn't want to show anyone. Uh, classic example, a lot of medical terms today don't show any search volume in Keyword Planner. And even in Search Console, there are a number of terms that are medical related, perfectly valid, perfectly uh, you know, useful terms that a lot of companies can um, help answer or, or provide services around. And Google doesn't reveal those uh, through their reports. And this is where Clickstream can help cover the gap. Now, given when it was done, which was, was very recently, but Google's ever-changing. So I imagine that somewhere either after the data was collected or like right towards the end, we had the mobile infinite scroll um, enter in. Do you think this would be will will have an impact? And, and does the study need to be performed again on on mobile, or um, will, will there be some way to to sort of tell whether this this changes before and after? Absolutely. Um, we find click through rate is as much a function of uh, user behavior as also the user experience that Google provides. So as Google changes the user experience, either what we focus on is you know when they increase page search visibility or they change the how things are presented. Infinite scroll is one of those user experience things. And we do expect it to change. And we are already working on running a smaller study, just a before and after study uh, on from the date that Google chain made that change, which they announced on a Friday that they were making a change. So we're looking at the 14 days after and 14 days before to see how did the infinite scroll on mobile change uh, essentially two things. One, the amount of impressions that rank positions 11 and beyond were getting. Did people unknowingly scroll deeper because they no longer had to click on a pagination button? And two, did it increase the click-through rate in positions 11 and beyond versus what it used to be previously? Because if more people are going now without knowing it to page two, uh, are they more likely to click on it? One of the things that we saw already, and this is before the infinite uh, infinite scroll change, was already in mobile. We're seeing this difference of 
and it's one of the surprising things that people have pointed out who've looked at the study, is that um, in positions 17 through 20, we see an actual like little tiny hockey stick, a little tiny upswing that brings 17 through 20 up pretty close to where it was like eight through 10 uh, middle, the bottom of page one traditionally. Yeah, definitely higher than 10 to 15. <laughs> yeah. was surprising. Right. So, you know, it goes way down as we all expect. We always, always led to believe. And, you know, page two is the place where you bury the body on Google, but uh, maybe no more. Uh, and, you know, the, the hypothesis that we and many others have is on mobile people will just tend to, there's that, uh, what, what was the term we were using? Thumb scroll or thumb? Thumb flick. Thumb flick. Yeah. You know, you, you tend to do that on a phone, right? Or a mo small mobile device. You just flick up a lot more quickly and end up lower in the results than you would on desktop where it takes a little more effort to, to go down the page. So, so in some cases, people bypass like 11 to 15 by mistake just because they scroll hard. Yeah, we have a Twitter thread running on this, and, and you're exactly right. This is, that's one of the hypotheses, too, is when you have a thumb flick, you don't even realize that the internet scroll loaded the second set, and you just scroll way past your 10 to 15, and you end I, up looking at 17 to 20, right? I imagine during This is during, a hypothesis. needs yeah, testing. Yeah. I imagine during the time of the study, um, the composition of Google search results on desktop and on, on mobile, on mobile um, changed. Yeah. Um, so, so you mentioned a, a two-week buffer that you're doing on the, the, the infinite scroll. Um, are you doing that with other types of um, changes that may, may have um, appeared in, in search results in mobile or, or desktop environments? So the current study, the study that we just published, we actually ran a longitudinal version of it too, where we looked at 12 months daily click-through rates. And we actually compile that into what is a section of our study, which is the seasonality section. We looked at day by day how the click-through rates were going so that we could account for it. And then we aggregated to say, how is this January click-through rate differ from February, from March, and so on. So there are other aspects of, you know, as Google makes more changes, uh, we see that as an opportunity for us to always use this data set to go back and look at how click-through rates are changing before and after. Yeah, before and after any announced changes by Google. Google's testing a lot all the time, as we know. Was there anything that really surprised you? When you go into a study like this, um, I mean, we, we, we've, we've been doing this job for, for years, um, so you get a lot of assumptions. So when you're actually cooking up the final results, what surprised you? Oh, there were you know, so many surprising and interesting insights. Um, I'll start with what, you know, kind of the really the biggest takeaway from this study. Click-through rates that we have all been using as SEOs for so many years based on, you know, in prior studies, including our own prior studies, may not be the reality today at all. The position one click-through rates that we are seeing in our new, latest study show that uh, both across desktop and mobile, it's no more than 8.5% click-through rate for both mobile and desktop. Uh, most companies and most uh, have been using anything from 13 to 22 to even as high as 30, 40% as estimates for first position. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a big change because if you're forecasting, as most companies right now may be forecasting next year's traffic and planning out what where they want to go and where they want to invest, uh, it can make a huge difference to what your ROI calculations are if you're still using outdated numbers to create those forecasts. The second thing that we found super interesting is how different click-through rates are by country. 
we have not seen any other study that did this, which is what prompted us to do it, is everybody tends to be very US focused in looking at all of these studies. And so the first time we actually looked at uh, UK and, and four other, you know, US, UK, and four, three other countries, and to understand how behavior changes. And interestingly, US is why the place where some of the lowest click-through rates across the board in every ranked position compared to other countries. India, for instance, had actually higher click-through rates in nearly every ranked position than any other country, followed by a whole series. So it was interesting to see how user behavior is different depending on a whole bunch of different factors, possibly in that uh, marketplace, in the environment, what people search for in each country, which is different, the user behavior, uh, and essentially what is the same exact user experience from a search result page. I want to circle back because you you went on a tangent that I absolutely want to follow, which is the international area. And that was absolutely fascinating. But for our listeners here, and, and I've had a chance to like jump over to like LinkedIn while we're chatting because I'm like, oh, okay. Um, like uh, most of our listeners um, will know, Mark, they've probably like many of them like met him at conferences. I know that's where where, where I met him, right? Um, but But... You can you give us a bit about your your background because clearly you're very data driven, um, and like I already know it, but our, our listeners may not. You're, you're incredibly data driven, and you've obviously have a strong understanding of how proper data analytics and, and, and use is done. So, can, can you tell us a bit about about your background just for for context? Sure. Um, so uh, officially, I'm the CEO and chief architect of SEO Clarity. Um, and in my role, uh, we, I, I co-founded SEO Clarity. And, and before SEO Clarity was started, we started SEO Clarity in 2007. Uh, me and my co-founder uh, also ran an uh, SEO agency by the name of Ectonia. And prior to that, I've worked in-house. So I've been in the SEO space since about 2002, 2003, uh, running and building. This is my fourth venture uh, with, uh, in the SEO space, in the marketing space. So a lot of years, this is what I love. This is what I do. So uh, this has been really interesting to see how we've gone from where, when I started with SEO and where now we are with all this data and all these insights and all these tools to help do this. Uh, Middle, I'm going to jump in here because, you know, Middle is one of the humblest people that I know uh, for being such a smart person as he is, but um, I want to brag on him for a moment. And it's one of the reasons that, you know, the people that do know me, it's why I'm at SEO Clarity. There's a lot of good reasons. Um, I think it's the best platform out there, and I'm very proud and happy to represent it. But it is the kind of care and and effort that goes into a study like this and, and the attention to detail on uh, data. You know, you guys know me from back in the days with Stone Temple Consulting with Eric Enga and the studies that we produced there. And I gained such a respect for Eric's same kind of care. There's a lot of studies that we all know out there. We won't name names, but they're kind of slipshod or the methodologies are questionable or there's a lot of, you know, a lot that's done off of very uh, slim correlations, things like that. Um, it's, it was important to me to be representing a company that was going to use data responsibly and use it in uh, scientifically valid ways because these are, these are lifebloods for business. People will uh, take actions on these things that make huge differences for their livelihoods, for their businesses. It's, it's not just a matter of in, something interesting to talk about. It's, it's important. And uh, so, yeah, I want to just, you know, emphasize that, that um, it just, I just delight every day how much care is put into these things. 
Uh, some of the studies we've got coming down the road are going to be amazing and just, we hope super helpful way beyond our clients, you know, super helpful to the entire industry to be getting a better picture of, of how things really work out there. I, I appreciate you, you jumping in there, there, Mark, because I, I, I don't think Matul did as good a job uh, tooting his own horn as maybe he should have from, from the background <laughs> that, that I'm seeing there. Now, I, 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 I'm not, don't put me in a position of critiquing my boss. Did I mention this was my very first podcast? <laughs> oh, welcome here. Thank you. Um, now, I, I'm going to circle us back to a topic because it, it was one of the most fascinating aspects of, of, of the study when I was going through everything. Well, the most we've already touched on was somewhere in that gap between 11 and 15, there's a dead zone and then it starts to go up again. That I found just just fascinating. Mm-hmm. But we sort of touched on that. Another one I found fascinating, and you actually made it more fascinating while you were talking, um, was the difference in click-through rate, which I, I think in, in part, um, you know, one can go, oh, what does that mean about the people there? Right? Like, what does it mean culturally might be happening in people's brains to not quite trust number one as much as this crew does, but this one really trusts number one, but it drops faster, right? Like those sorts of things. Um, but one of the things that I, I can't help but but also now ponder, because you, you brought up that everything's different in the States, um, is Google, as, as we all know, tends to test a lot of their new features and layouts in the States. Could that be impacting um, the click-through rate is they're stronger with featured snippets there. They're stronger with, you know, distracting people over to different aspects or that bids are stronger there. And so people are clicking on paid ads more, more prevalently. Great, great question. We've pondered that exactly the same. Um, when we looked at Japan and India click-through rates, and, and those are position one click-through rates in Japan and India are above 14%, which is you know a 600 basis point different versus what we saw in the US, which is you know around 8.5% uh, click-through rate in position one. Uh, there are a few different hypotheses. For instance, we know that Google has a really hard time with their NLP uh, and un- figuring out uh, Japanese language and answer boxes in Japanese. So we also know from other data that we collect, we do rank checking worldwide, so tens of millions of keywords. Um, and we know that Japan has a lower occurrence of answer boxes than we find in the US. For pretty much actually any English speaking country has actually a little bit more answer boxes than most any other language. And that's reflective of just how uh, two things, one, the Google's knowledge of the language, but also two, the amount of content available in those languages. A lot more is written in the US, a lot more is targeted to English speaking than there is for say Japanese or uh, or even German or French, right? There's different population bases, different amount of speakers. The other difference is pay-per-click. US is also a very saturated market for page search relative to other countries. Like if you think about India, there's a tremendous number of people selling in India, uh, large country, large population, right? And large booming e-commerce uh, and same for Japan too. But the intense competitiveness that comes from the number of people bidding for the same thing and how large the stack of paid ads may be maybe a big difference between the countries also here. So what do you think a marketer can, can take that? Like 
would we, if, if you're international, like, I, and I can't help but just like put that hat on and go, okay, now how do I use this data? Which, I mean, it's fascinating data and it's like, oh, okay, well, I can dump that in and see if I can like do better or worse than, than other people. And that's a fun thing to do and go, oh, okay, I have a higher than I should click through rate. Wonderful. I have good titles. Um, but from this, this international side, if I am Nike, right, or if I am Rolex or, or Tesla, right, and I, I'm selling internationally, what can I take away? Like, w- would they use this data and go, well, I'll need to bid organic, like need to really focus organic on the States because it's going to be really expensive on the paid search side, but it'll be really cheap over in, in other countries. Might as well just do paid over there. Is that a, a takeaway I could, I could take from this? Um, I would put it as there is different opportunity in different countries. And what we should be thinking about is click-through rates are not the same across the world. So when you're thinking about investing in content and trying to rank for position one or two or three in, uh, in organic, your models for forecasting what your ROI is going to be should be based by country. It, more often than not, com- uh, companies have been used to using these click-through rate studies as a universal truth globally and just saying, well, I expect position one globally to be 14%, right? And I'm going to build my forecast and estimates on that. And that may not be the best approach is what this would say. So use this as a benchmark. But what we also recommend is specifically around organic, because that's all we focus on, specifically around organic, you want to determine your own click-through rate. And that was a big mention over and over again. We made sure we, we put into the report that we published is treat this as what it is. It is a benchmark. It's supposed to give you a perspective of what the overall average across billions and billions of impressions is. It's only when you calculate your own click-through rate curves, and we'll help you with that. We have three tools, and we'll, we'll help, we can help with that. Um, that you can understand whether you're doing better than the benchmark or you're doing worse than the benchmark. And that can get much more actionable uh, than simply looking at these curves and saying, hey, I'm going to go change my bids or I'm going to go put more effort in one place or another. At the end of the day, now, you want to capture, com- capture demand everywhere, not just uh, in one country. I would suggest so. Before, before worrying... Um if you're hitting the average benchmark or not, one thing that your study pointed out is that that benchmark might vary by country and by industry or, or yes, sector. It does. Um, that, was, that, that was really fascinating. Why would people in, say, who are interested in fashion have a different click-through rate than people who are, say, interested in sports? This was, this was actually a very interesting Twitter thread, too, um, that emerged from here. Uh, The reason we wanted to look at data by industry is because our own rank tracking tells us that there is a very big difference in the amount and type of search features that show up. And also the paid search shows up by industry. As a quick example, when you search for anything fashion, any fashion related things, you're going to see a lot of product shopping. You're going to see a lot of ads. You're going to see a lot of images. But if you search for real estate, you're not going to see product shopping at all. You're going to see Google local, right? And you're going to see ads. And now if you switch over to electronics and consumer electronics, they're going to mimic uh, their own pattern of search features, which are going to be different than other industries. And the, the reason to look at the industries was to be able to say, in aggregate, this industry has a common set of search features that consistently shows up, right? Travel, for example, whether you search flights or hotels, there's always a Google flight pack or a hotel pack. And that's different than real estate. And our attempt at the CTR it's, was to understand how searcher behavior and click-through rate behavior changes where, 
and how it's influenced by these SERP features that are common in those industries, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Now, the first thing I think in just in a, in a pure SEO play, when you want to increase click-through rate um, from the from the search engine results page, you don't have a lot of tools. You have the um, title link and you have the meta description. Those are the visible um, elements. You have um, uh, uh, feature snippets and uh, you might have, um, if you're very, very lucky, um, a one box. Mm hmm Depending on the sector, um, can you extrapolate just through the, 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 the way users might, or searchers based on their sector might click a better um, element for SEOs to concentrate on? For instance, would it be better to work with your title link in um, apparel and fashion um, than it would be in real estate? Um, I think the what we looked at in our study was the, because of the influence of these features, the, what you can do for your click-through rate, if, if I'm understanding your question, what you can really do to move your needle for click-through rate is going to be very common uh, across these different avenues. What you can achieve with your uh, click-through rate is going to be different though. What you can do may be the same, meaning improve the action item in your titles, make it more specific, make it more, uh, you know, uh, oriented towards what your unique selling proposition is, but your upside is going to be determined by what are all, all the SERP features and everything else showing up in the results. I guess what I was getting at um, was in your study, were you able to extrapolate um, or to determine uh, one sector that you might work on a this element or another sector that, that a different element would bring more success in. For instance, in fashion, do people click more on feature snippets? Ah, no, we haven't gotten to that yet. That actually turned out to be one of the biggest requests uh, after we posted the study is being able to look at the influence of each individual SERP feature and how much each SERP feature gets as a click-through rate. That is a follow-up that we've taken from the feedback we've received. Now I, I'm just going to do a, a little a little plug here for 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 you guys because you've mentioned a couple times this is a, an interesting thread. So for for our listeners, if you jump over to Twitter.com/slash/seoclarity, that's where you'll find these things, um, like the, the 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 Twitter comments you were mentioning, and it's now a profile I follow. Um, one of the other fascinating fascinating things that I I sort of locked in on. I don't even have an answer for it. Maybe I'm just working in the wrong sectors. And so I'm like thinking too, too close-minded uh, about this. You, you broke it down. Okay, love how thorough you guys were. Uh, you broke it down by month. So we have a month-by-month -month breakdown. What I don't quite understand, and, and maybe you can explain it to me, is there's a spike in July, great. It's sustained through to August, but then it's sustained through again into September, right? Where, where all of a sudden click-through rates go up. Then, bizarrely enough, it starts to drop as we approach the holiday. The time I'm most desperate and clicking on anything that might answer my need as the holidays approach. Um, what, what is it about the summer that improves our, our, our click-through rate? Is it just that we're like bored and willing to surf on more stuff? Or is it like that we're, we're fundamentally changing what we're doing during that time and, and more prone to click on, on things? That's that's a great question, and we, <laughs> funnily enough, we came up with two 
uh, theories on this, looking through actual raw keywords and looking at tracking a few of these keywords, because there's so many of them, and looking at them over the year, what we realized is that there is, uh, when you look at such a large set of keywords, you have a lot more in here that is not transactional, that is informational in nature. And what we find is in November and December specifically, because those are typically the peak months for most of our clients. And then January, February, March for travel clients, right? Those are the two seasons that we think about. This six-month period from November till March, April is super critical. November and December is when shopping behavior significantly changes. The amount of people that just search and then redo their search and then search again, and the number of clicks that they actually make are go inverse, where they may be, well, I shouldn't say inverse. I should say uh, the amount of impressions goes up significantly, but the number of clicks does not go up as much as the amount of search is going up. So think about our own behavior during the fourth quarter, right? We may search for a lot of things and see results related to holiday greeting cards how to send holiday greeting cards, how to make a Christmas table decoration, how to decorate a home for Christmas. There's a lot more of those kind of searches that we start seeing or Thomas Kincaid paintings, even words that are typically transactional become informational in nature because now people aren't really looking for Thomas Kincaid paintings, which is one of my favorite examples, but they're also starting to look for decorations and images and clip arts and and things like that but they still use Google search as a starting point and then jump off to Google images and go to other parts, which are not necessarily clicks on the links on the page. And that's a big difference in the behavior. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. For maximum customer engagement and retention, choose CleverTap. CleverTap is a leading customer engagement and retention platform that helps digital brands maximize lifetime value. Over 8,000 apps around the world, including Vodafone, Star, and Sony, trust CleverTap to improve user engagement, boost retention, and fuel long-term revenue growth. Learn more at CleverTap.com. That's CleverTap.com. Miami is more than beaches, palm trees, and fun in the sun. It's home every year to the Miami Book Fair, celebrating its 39th year of hosting authors and readers from around the world, November 13th through the 20th. Join us in downtown Miami at the Wolfson campus of Miami Day College. Connect with over 500 authors reading from their books in English, Spanish, French, and Creole, answering questions and signing hard copies. The 2022 edition of the Miami Book Fair welcomes everyone of all ages to come together, meet, and make new friends, exchange ideas, and discover one's next favorite author. 
Let's Explore, Discover, and Learn Together. Featured authors will include award-winning novelists, Anthony Horowitz, Ben Mesrich, Craig Johnson, Danny Shapiro, Elena Shapiro, Jimmy Attenberg, poet Sandra Cisneros, and authors writing about the trending topics of the day, Lisa Genova, Jerry Stahl, Marie Brenner, Mark Kurlansky, Samantha Cole, Stacey Schiff, Katie Tour, and many others. For more information, please visit MiamiBookFair.com. Follow the fair at Miami Book Fair and join the conversation hashtag Miami Book Fair 2022. That is a very, very interesting observation, like a, a super interesting observation. Now, I'm going to carry us on, on a slight aside for, for just a second here on another observation that I made just a little bit earlier in, in that. And it was just something that Mark had said. Now, I, I've got a lot of sort of insights from, from this current study. Um, and, and, and we're going to talk a little more about some of those. And I'm sure Jim has more questions he wants to add in, but I could probably fill a number of episodes. Um, but Mark, you, you alluded to some additional studies that might be coming out. So, you know, you know, I just need to ask, um, what, what, what sorts of studies can we expect if, if you can talk about them in, in advance, what sorts of things are, are you guys looking at now, um, that, that we might look forward to as far as upcoming data points that are taken to a level we haven't seen before. This is one of those moments when I'm really, really glad that the boss is on the podcast, you know, because I can't possibly get in trouble here. Like I could just say like middle, what, which ones do you want to talk about? <laughs> we have a number on the, on the stove coming down. Yeah. Um, maybe I can give you a couple of them that uh, are specific. The mobile infinite scroll. Uh, you have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Is a really interesting data point that I think a lot of our clients want to know about. Uh, another uh, that we have in the works uh, is going to look at more of a, a survey result of what are the key roadblocks that SEOs face when it comes to getting to results. You know, we, we think about uh, SEO as this whole big thing and, and we, we hear SEOs struggle every day with being able to get their projects approved or get resources. How large of that is, a, is, a, uh, is it really a problem? We also have uh, a title rewrite analysis that we are redoing. We, have, we ran a title rewrite uh, analysis study last year and it's been incredible to see everything that's happened in the last three months uh, and actually be able to compare that to a study that we already did last year. 
Uh, and uh, there's some really incredible stuff that we may publish as early as next week uh, around rewrites. As not what is happening, but why and when does it happen, so that we can actually take action with it. Like, how do we prevent title rewrites from happening to us? I love to hear when that study is coming up because it is going to be absolutely fantastic to be the first and second podcast uh, that that you have done because we're going to have to have you on. <laughs> <laughs> to talk about that, Jim, I, I I know you you have a question. I can see you sort of like chomping. We are we are to answer your question. We are hoping to have that out uh, more publicly next week. Um, if, all, if all goes well on that, so very soon. Well, I want to get back to um to, to this study, the click through study. Um, and I remember when I when I heard it was coming out. Um, like I said earlier, I had a whole bunch of assumptions about what I, what we would see in the study. I've been doing this for a couple decades now, and you know I know my I know my SERPs. But I was surprised at the fact that there seemed to be so few click-throughs. The, the number seems very low. Um, do you have data from um, before COVID, um, say data from uh, four or five years ago to compare um, these findings against? Yeah, actually a part of the study that we didn't get around to publishing is actually a comparison of July of 2019 let me get my year right. <laughs> July yeah, that, of 2019. The four times. The four times, yep. <laughs> the four times, right. Uh, with Comparing July 2019 with July 2021. That is actually a part of the study that we already put together, but we did not make it in, into this. Just still uh, stuck in review. We didn't want to hold this back uh, longer. Mm -hmm. But uh, we that's exactly a kind of question that we wanted to answer. July being one of the you know bigger months for click-through rates. How has um, pre and post or almost as posters as we can call it right now, uh, pandemic has the behavior change. And one of the things that we wanted to dig into was looking at the same keywords. So if we find the same set of million or 100 million keywords that were searched in July of 2019 and 2021, how has behavior changed there? Now, the SERPs have changed a lot. Paid ads may have changed. So features have changed. So there's a lot, and it's not just pandemic that would affect it. Uh, but we also have July of 2020, right? So we can look at this in three different segments. Uh, just need time. When you're um, preparing your studies, in the last year, I mean, I have to think of the month of August that we, we faced. We had uh, the, the, the bookend Google updates and then mm -hmm. three other updates in between the bookends. Are you able to annotate your um, data to say this happened on this date, this happened on this date, this happened on that date? And then, um, I don't know, it's, it's extrapolate the, the, the changes that, or, or take account for the changes that would happen or, 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 or might, have, might be forced by these changes? We do track these changes. So uh, tracking keywords and rankings globally, we, we have to because we see uh, all of these fluctuations firsthand. We see ranking updates and, and uh, even unannounced algorithm and other updates that Google is making. So we internally in our platform, we annotate all of that and correlate it to our client's performance, for instance. The study itself, this is one thing that we want to get into more of a habit of doing is uh, taking the same annotations and, and same uh, fluctuations that we see our data telling us happening and then going and whether or not it's confirmed, looking at that larger click stream and saying, how has that been influenced, right? It's a machine. It's an engine to build. So we're just getting taking the baby steps on it. Um. Pause for a sec. Sorry, gentlemen. Um, I don't think you have the algo. <laughs> <laughs> for, for, for listeners, 
Jim's referring to a, a little aside we're, we're having here. Um, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, sorry, Jim, I, I've got a Let question. Go. I'm just like chomping at the bit on here. One of just so many different things that I'm just like, I don't quite know why this would be. This goes like, if you just said Dave in a black box, what, what will happen if we study this? And, and there's a number of them. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Clearly, I'm not every person, though, right? Like, so clearly people are doing things differently than, than I do. One of the ones, and it gets like just one of the basics of, of, of SEO or everything that SEOs pay attention to was the difference. And it's substantial, like a, depending on how you look at percentage differences, like 20 to 25% difference between mobile and desktop with desktop coming in second. Now, is that going to be related to more access to feature snippets or as you say, less people going off to images and, and getting distracted over there, but remaining on a Google property as opposed to actually clicking through to sites or what, what is causing people to click through on mobile where it's actually, in my opinion, you're likely to hit more roadblocks in slow websites over on mobile than you would um, on, on desktop is what, what's, what's the root of that? Um, you know, when we looked at the industries and I think you're referring to our industry segmentation on this, um, there was finance was one industry where we found it very interesting that uh, mobile and desktop for the position one were uh, were identical, and for position two, mobile was actually higher than desktop in the finance industry. It may be the case in the country too, but finance was the one that sticks to my mind in case that's what you're referring to, and that's not common. Uh, and what we believe this is happening is the very unique set of searches that happen around finance and what Google shows for those finance queries. For example. A lot of finance queries have to do in the general web have to do with stock quotes mm-hmm. and information on companies, right? So now if you think about a search for, uh, I don't know, if you search for MSFT stock quote, mm-hmm. Google has a their own quick answer from Google Finance that directly shows you everything you need to know about that on desktop and on mobile. But on mobile, that pretty much takes up the entire viewport, the stock quote, the stock chart, and your mobile screen viewport is completely occupied by it. So then you just interact with all of the tabs within that quick answer. On desktop, in your same view, uh, you can see both that stock quote, but also news articles. So you may be just as much tempted on desktop to click on the news articles or go over to you know, the ranking uh, site that shows up versus on mobile where you are much more trapped uh, on position one and the top two positions. At least that was our hypothesis on that um, on finance side of things. So a lot of this is, it seems to be something that cascades across all of, of, of the data, different data points. As we're talking about them, there's sort of this underlying recurring theme, um, which is Dave's not necessarily thinking about the myriad of different queries that, that we're looking at here. It makes sense. Like what I need to do is actually like, drop into a, my favorite keyword tool and just go, here's my global top level, like most generic term. Think of all of the different things that I'm going to see. And that's what people are looking for, as opposed to, to the, to, as you were talking about the transactional nature of, of specific queries versus, it, versus others. I think um, if you think, if you think about it, like one of the things that this, this kind of study reveals, Google is, we, we can interact with Google in this way. We're looking at one of the biggest data sets of human behavior ever accumulated, maybe the biggest in some senses. And we're looking at human behavior. And I'm thinking about this in terms of like, you know, there's been so much that's been said and rightly so in the last few years about search intent, 
Um, and SEOs has become better because we become more focused on that. We realize like not every search has the same intent. So the you know landing page and the content and what, how you're targeting and the keywords you're targeting and your titles and all that stuff has to take into account the intent. Maybe what we're seeing here, I think we are seeing here, is a whole other kind of intent. That intent changes due to uh, your culture, your geography, where you are, to uh, the industry that you're searching for or in, uh, level of interest like that, that you know, human behavior is not as monolithic as we might think it is, or we might want to extrapolate it to be. So it's a whole new area. You know, maybe one of the more general actionable insights from this study is uh, you need to be thinking beyond even the traditional intensive, is this informational, is it transactional, et cetera, to uh, how do people behave when they search for my type of industry in my location as opposed to a different industry in a different location. Beside dividing by sector, were you able to differentiate B2B and um, recreational or, or individual searches? So uh, we did try to break it down by the industries that made uh, that would align with the clients' uh, industries that we have. And B2B is one of those industries where there is a lot more desktop activity. So I'm not sure that we were able to actually get a large enough sample of just B2B related uh, searches in there. Um, but I'll have to go back and take a look at all the segments. We did 16 different industries in there uh, as a data set. One of the reasons I'm asking is over the last year, and this may be because of COVID, people working from home more frequently, I'm noticing in many of my clients, most of which are in the B2B sector, a uh, increase in mobile search. And in some cases, surprisingly, surpassing desktop search, at least in a number of sessions, not necessarily in conversions. And so I was, I guess I'm wondering if, if, if you're noticing a, different, a difference in behaviors of uh, mobile and desktop users in the B2B sphere specifically. In previous studies that we've done where we've looked at B2B, we've always noticed that mobile searches impressions are about 25%, uh, you know, 25, 75 split between mobile and desktop, where mobile is 25%. Mm-hmm. Relative to any other industry that we see where it's typically 50 to 75% mobile, uh, B2B tends to be the one where mobile is the, the smaller percentage. And uh, in those cases, we've also seen that mobile has far worse click-through rates all the way down the curve, far worse conversions, far worse engagement in every respect, because we can actually track uh, those you know, searches and coming from mobile and, and their activity uh, across the data. But in this particular study, B2B was a harder one to get, I think, and which is why, given the sample not being as large as any other industry that we had, which also makes sense, B2B as an industry is less searches than anything that is consumer-related. Uh, we chose to pick the bigger ones. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, are you seeing um, major changes in the behavior of um, users it just in general then um, between desktop and mobile in the last few months um, or uh, I shouldn't say last months in the last say 20 to 24 months uh, one one thing that we have noticed when we looked at the last 12 months trended as also when we were reviewing the July of 20, uh, 2019 versus 2021 uh, mobile impressions continue to grow much faster uh, then even, you know, way back in 2016, 2017, Google had already indicated that mobile was going faster than anything that they'd seen. Surprisingly, we are still seeing mobile uh, in our data too, uh, as having more impressions and growing faster than uh, what we see on desktop. 
The other change that we see is mobile uh, depth is greater too. And I think that our CTR study also shows that mobile clicks happen deeper uh, than even on desktop. Uh, you know, desktop doesn't have internet scroll probably so that, you know, moving forward, that may continue to uh, be the case where mobile continues to grow in terms of just depth and total impressions generated for deeper results. So those are two big highlights I would call out um, where mobile still continues continuing to rule the world. Now, I mean, first I have to say, I, I'm, I'm sure for, on, on behalf of a lot of listeners, there's a little bit of a cursing uh, to, to you guys right now, because I know at least some of our listeners are going to have to deal with, no, we don't want to de-optimize. We're in position nine. Yes, I know there's more traffic at position 17, <laughs> but no, just <laughs> we need to go through yeah. nine to get to three, right? Like that, that right. sort of thing. Um, how, something I, I, I wouldn't ask, but you, you've clearly given this some some thought. When we were talking about transactional and, and, and those are like just the, the, the different intent types, how much of a hurdle, if we wanted to do this on, on the kind of scale, how, how much of a hurdle would it be to properly label the data and, and label your keywords by their intent types, whether they're transactional, yeah. whether they're B2B? With that, is that sort of one of the biggest hurdles that we'd be facing in, in trying to get that data together? So uh, at SEO Clarity, we have a pretty incredible model that we've been using for two plus years to um, label all the keywords we track. We track over 330 million keywords on a monthly basis. And for all of those keywords, we do have it categorized by informational, transactional, navigational, and local. Those are the four uh, ways that we uh, uh, think about uh, intent. And we're able to do that because we have a lot of data on those keywords. Um, and the, we have a model built, so we can predict it. It's just a lot of CPU power to be able to go through as many keywords as we have in here to be able to assign those labels to them. I think what we may end up doing is trying to extract out samples from there of, uh, of 100 million, 200 million, and then do a kind of a sampling of the search intent and, and look at those patterns. Uh, as part of a follow-up yeah, study. Pesky, compute costs. I know we, we've talked to it, like alluded to it a, a few times on the show, but like, yeah, the, the compute cost of doing something like that. And then you're talking <laughs> about sample sets of millions, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, that's that's still like a, a very, very sizable. It's a, very, a, very, very sizable. A very real, tangible. We can draw some some solid conclusions from that. So I will be fascinated now, to, to see what you guys come up with. Fortunately for, for, for most of our listeners, they don't have to... Um, deal with 17 billion unique keywords, over 30 billion unique clicks, uh, based on 750 billion impressions. They got to deal with like a much smaller universe, their own businesses and websites. You mentioned very much, much, much earlier, um, middle that there that there is um, a number of free tools at the SEO Clarity site that. Um, Business owners can use to, you know, look at click-through uh, rates and, and traffic patterns on their own websites. Yeah, um, there's a couple of actual resource, uh, three or four resources. One, there is a blog post uh, that we've written up uh, a little while ago that outlines step by step how you can go into your search console, grab the data, and actually pivot it in Excel to understand your click-through rate as at least a snapshot. Two, we actually have an Excel template that we provide uh, where you can just simply dump the data that you get from uh, Google Search Console and it will build your click-through rate curves for you in that Excel template. And three, if you're a larger enterprise and have you know, multiple profiles or large date range that you want to look at and you want to look at your click-through rate over time, not just as a snapshot of you know, a 70 or 30 day, you want to look at it 
over months, uh, we also provide access to our Search Console integration within SEO Clarity uh, to enterprises. So we can pull in all of your data. We can uh, very quickly, the platform is built to be able to give you your trended click-through rate day by day, week by week, month by month. Uh, and we offer all of three of these. So maybe, maybe maybe a silly question. Do you uh, do you store data for uh, for your clients so I can do a, a search in August and then uh, do that same search in October, December, and uh, February? All data, everything we collect, Search Console analytics, rankings, is stored forever. So I guess these are, we're just talking about, the, about some of the free products. What about some of the more robust products? Um, some some of the some of the paid options. Uh, the, well, the paid options get you access to everything. <laughs> so. SEO Clarity is built as a platform to be uh, the one-stop solution for nearly every data, every metric, every capability that an enterprise SEO team would need. Uh, we built it because the challenge that enterprise SEO teams face is, is execution and actually getting a large team aligned on the same page uh, on all of these data metrics and capabilities. And uh, what, that enta- what that gets you is uh, essentially all of the support and client success and advanced capabilities of matching this search console data with all of the other data points that we collect, rankings, page level changes, analytics, conversions, and having a 360 degree view of the performance of your site across all of these uh, data sources and metrics. One of the things I always find fascinating in talking with tool makers is um, how they take suggestions from their users to improve, trick out, or change their tools. Um, do you have a way that users can give you feedback and and suggest uh, improvement? Mark, you or, or make requests? That? Yeah. Yeah. I'm the vice president of product marketing, I'm like, Mark, to talk about that. <laughs> well, it just so happens we have Mark. Yeah. Uh, we sure do, and it's it's really one of the things that has made SEO Clarity what it is today, you know, and why we have such high retention of our clients, things like that. Um, we basically have a principle, SEO Clarity, that if any two of our clients ask for something and it's feasible to do, and you know, there's a little bit of vetting in there. You can say, is it, first of all, is it doable? You know, is it obviously is going to benefit um, a lot of people? But usually, if two are asking for it, it's going to basically two two or more ask for it we will build it. Uh, and we've done that for over 12 years. Uh, it's, you know, just so much, you know, by far most of the true innovations in our platform were driven out of those actual requests from our enterprise level clients. Um, we've also way stepped up in the last couple of years, our uh, transparency on our feature roadmap. Uh, it's right there in the platform. It's easy to access and we're delighted because we see our, our clients using it. They're in there all the time and they're actively participating in it as a forum to uh, suggest ideas, to they can interact, they can vote up, vote down ideas. Um, and you know, we take that very seriously and it's always a joy to be able to you know, report to them in a month, two months, depending on what the feature is many months later. You know, this thing that you suggested here, lots of people wanted it, here it is, we built it, um, it's there. So. That's a huge part of, of our success. Uh, as I said, you know, the amazing client uh, retention that we have uh, is, is because we listen to them. Um, they are the people that are down in the trenches, and our entire job is to make them successful. So we want to give them, if it's all possible, give them every possible uh, tool, insight uh, thing that will help them to do that. 
you um, mentioned again, uh, harking back to earlier in the interview when we were talking about where the uh, data came from, where you where, where you were, were pulling data from. When you do the uh, follow up to this study a, a couple of years from now, um, uh, the click through study too, um, will you be able to pull from all the same data sets? We sure hope so. So uh, our data sets continue to uh, increase. We aggregate more and more sources into the data set. And we sure hope that we can continue to produce these kind of studies and more. Um, the original purpose of all of the Clickstream data source was you know, to actually uncover more search volume demand information that Google is obfuscating, right? This is the click-through rate is a nice byproduct that we're able to glean from that same data set. But there's other things that we can do with the data too, such as identifying new and emerging trends um, in, in searches. You know, Google Keyword Planner can be up to two to three months um, uh, old in reflecting some of the searches that are happening today. Uh, but this data set allows us to identify trends faster than anything else. So we actually have a feature in the platform where publishers can go in and see what are people talking about as of yesterday, as of last week, that uh, was trending, that was uh, emerging, that was uh, you know exploding, and uh, we, as we continue to grow it, there will be even more use cases of studies like the click-through rate study that we hope to be able to bring. So, one of the things I want to mention uh, before we, we run out of time here is that uh, we do these studies to help the industry, and you help only by being actionable. Ultimately. We don't just do these to be academic or pr provide a curiosity that's nice to talk about, about over the water cooler uh, or over the, uh, over the Zoom call these days. Uh, so one of the things that, uh, that we're also thinking about in terms of this, when you talk, look, talk about a CTR study and having this amount of granularity and segmentation of the CTR data and more of it to come as we've been talking about today, is for forecasting. Uh, if you're a larger organization, uh, if you're an SEO in an enterprise-level organization, then uh, you know you're not just in your own little world. You're responsible for um, doing uh, doing forecasting for saying, reporting to the higher ups and saying like this is where based on the efforts that we're going to be putting in, in the next six months, the next quarter, the next year, this is where we expect to be. And the, the C level wants to see that in terms of actual, tangible, measurable results. And with that organic SEO course, that's going to be first measured in terms of traffic. So. What do you do to do that? We have a tool within our uh, platform, of course, that helps you to do that kind of forecasting. And it's very much linked into the CTR because that's how you predict traffic. Um, you just extrapolate out and you say, you know, based on the, on the known CTRs uh, with these optimizations or these improvements over the next number of months, uh, this is what we'd expect the traffic to be. So where I'm going with this is it is critical to have the most accurate CTR that you can have to, to make those predictions accurate. Uh, here, you know, our clients are going to be able to have that. We're going to be, we're taking this data, by the way, and we're, it's not just a study, but this data is going to be integrated into our platform. It will be the information that we use. Our clients will have better, more accurate uh, predictability uh, on traffic because of this, because th this data exists. That's excellent to know. We, uh, we are running so close to the to the edge of the clock right now. Um, I want to get into what Google's obfuscating, but I don't think we have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> but we definitely, definitely want to have you guys on again. Uh, probably, prob hopefully sooner than later. Um, is there any any last impressions or takeaways that uh, 
that you'd like to give any, any areas that we, we didn't touch on, you have probably like 30 to 60 seconds. Uh, you know, I, rather than rehash something that we've touched on, I would uh, I would just highlight one thing that we mentioned early on. Super important that everybody go understand what their own click-through rate is yeah. uh, for their own industry. I think it is there is a wealth of information and actions that can come out of it, as, as Mark mentioned, but it's super important. Everybody should be doing that uh, and benchmarking it. Mark, any last words? Yeah, no, I'm just going to, it was exactly what I was going to share too. So I'll just hop on that and say, you know, uh, get in touch with us. People can find me on Twitter under my name. They can find middle the same way uh, or, you know, just get in touch with any way you can. Like we would love to help with that and point you to resources that we have to help you to know middle mentioned earlier, you know, free tools that we have. Uh, if you're a much larger organization, we'd be glad to run that data for you and tell you what your CTR is. Uh, you know, we want to help people with this. So uh, we think it's critical for people to know it. So, you know, let us know, uh, reach out to us, and we'll be glad to try to help you if we can. Middle Gandhi, Mark Traphagen from SEO Clarity. Um, thank you both for being on Webcology, and thank you for the 2001 CTR study. It is a uh, industry must-read. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Dave. Hey, friends, that was uh, Middle Gandhi and Mark Traphagen from SEO Clarity. Check out the study. Um, you can access it a bunch of different ways. Go to SEO Clarity and um, you'll find it on their website. Or, you can, or even easier, go to Google, type in SEO Clarity CTR, um, CTR study. It's the third or fourth result if you're in the northeast quadrant of North America and probably uh, somewhere in there if you're... Um, Anywhere in North America, it might be in the 23rd spot, and that might be good for them if you're searching on mobile. <laughs> we got to go. We've got around full clock. Uh, friends, we are going into the winter season. It's cold. People are moving inside, and COVID is still a reality. Please get vaccinated. Um, protect each other. Protect your friends. Protect your family. I hope everybody has an amazing Thanksgiving and uh, a successful um, Cyber Monday. We will talk to you next week. Be kind, be well, rank well, and uh, we'll talk to you later. The opinions expressed in this WMR.FM program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of WMR.FM. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.